0: The world is a new place and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. This is the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McDonald. Today, I'm rejoined by uh, strength and conditioning coach Jesse Cook from TPA Sports and from York University. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, strength and conditioning training phases, uh, how they all work, what they all uh, consist of, and at what time to do them. And we're going through uh, four different phases of a full-length program uh, from start to finish so our athletes can get a clear view picture on how this all really works in strength conditioning. Jesse, it's great to have you back on the show, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, Scott. Happy to be back.
0: Yeah. How the last few days treating you, okay?
1: Not too bad. Like I said, trying to <laughs> trying to keep myself busy and uh, and somewhat sane. But uh, yeah, like I said, kind of trying to keep somewhat of a routine has been, been pretty good. Uh, I've been trying to get some work done in the morning, uh, try each day to spend some time outside, uh, take my daughter out for a walk and uh, at least get some fresh air. And yeah, it's been, uh, uh, trying to make the, the most of uh, a situation, I guess is, is not so ideal.
0: Yeah. It's funny. You know, I got some families who are coming to me and saying, Oh, you know, the, the families decided, uh, every hour on the hour as a family, we all do, uh, as many pushups as we can, or as many, uh, body weight squats as we can, just like as a challenge just to keep yeah. things differently. And it's, it, again, it's crazy how, uh, like the camaraderie in the community and the reconnection of people is happening. Like, that's the silver lining during this uh, crazy pandemic. So, 100%. hopefully, we can keep that up when we're uh, business as usual again in the sport. 100%. World. Yep. Perfect. So, talk to me um, about the training phases. Um, a lot of athletes, a lot of families, they think get in the gym, heavy ass weight, intensity. If you're not sweating, then that means you weren't working hard let's let's go through these phases and, and where do we start? Let's start with with our off season and go full circle.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So uh, I guess if we look at where we're at now in terms of timing uh, with most leagues uh, being shut down and I know the, the OHL and uh, well college has been done now for about a month, um, some a little bit less with nationals being canceled, but uh, uh, most leagues now have, have kind of come to an end, which uh, kind of, I guess for, for most athletes out there stems the, the very first point of, uh, of their, technically their off season starting up. Right. So um, typically in the, in the, in the first phase, uh, at least we'll, we'll take our athletes through. Uh, well, first off, we, we like to give our athletes a couple weeks off uh, just to kind of, again, mentally recoup, physically recoup from the, the season. Um, it's whether it's, it's collegiate, even though you're only playing 24 games in the year, um, the demand and the stress on the body is huge, both from, especially when we look at student athletes, um, everything from the, the physical side of stuff to the mental side of stuff, having to juggle and balance uh, schooling uh, along with uh, the practice demands and training demands that go along with, uh, with the season is, is big. And especially for a lot of, a lot of the first year uh, students where you know it's their first time living away from home and uh, there's that adjustment as well. Giving them a couple of weeks, uh, we find, uh, is a good mental reset for, for most of them. It allows them to a, catch up on some schoolwork that maybe um, maybe got uh, delayed a little bit with, uh, with playoffs uh, and as well, kind of get them excited to come back and, and get into that training process. So um, usually we'll, like I said, we'll give our guys a couple weeks off to uh, to kind of reset and then we'll start into our, our very first block of the off season. And uh, when we get into that block uh, the biggest thing we try and uh, emphasize on that is is kind of the less is more approach and, we understand it's going to be a, a long, long process in the off season. And we want to make sure that uh, we're phasing it out appropriately. And, and to be honest, the, the very first block that we do is uh, if you were to walk into the gym and see what we're doing, it, it doesn't necessarily look like hockey specific training. We actually want to do the opposite of, uh, of uh, what we might be uh, looking at from a performance standpoint on the ice. Uh, we try and uh, first off tackle and address um, a lot of, uh, biomechanical issues that might happen with the course of the season. So, uh, we think about, uh, most hockey players, um, what we usually see through the course of the year and, and in the gym is you get things like tight hip flexors, um, spending so much time in that, uh, that crutched over position, um, definitely poses some different, uh, different issues on the, the muscles that they're using. So one of the very first things we want to do is we want to try and reestablish some of that, uh, that length. And, uh, and set them up for success in the, in the later phases. So we look at that first block as basically the um, the stepping stone to, to create success for the, the subsequent phases that we would use in the off-season um, following this. Um, we'll look at things like, like ankle range of motion. Uh, that's another big one. And uh, when you look at that from a speed development standpoint, you've got these players that are spending eight months a year locked up in a, in a hockey boot, which – um, from a, a mobility standpoint for the ankle uh, isn't necessarily a great thing, but um, obviously with the demands of the sport, it's something that we have to um, understand that it's going to be, uh, that's just going to come with the nature of, of, the, of the sport. So we want to look at things that, uh, like I said, are, are a little bit underused um, in terms of uh, things like the hamstrings and uh, the calves and really focus on uh, the posterior chain and making sure that, uh, we're, we're addressing issues like rounded shoulders that typically happen over the course of the year. Uh, like I said, shortened hip flexors and kind of working the opposite of those muscles to try and recreate balance and posture uh, in their body.
0: And it's, it's interesting too, like everything that you're talking about, it's, it's, um, it kind of reminds me when I was uh, reading uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Bodybuilding Encyclopedia, and he has a whole chapter there on weak point training and how important that is. But yet a lot of athletes when it comes to weak point training, they're like, no, I don't have time for that. I need to get into the big, sexy stuff. I gotta be squatting this. I gotta clean and jerk this. I gotta be, you know, my 40 yard dash has to improve. They want to do all the really cool stuff, but they don't realize it's the weak point training that sets them up for the the big lifts. Um, you know, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was
1: just going to say like, what we'll, we'll try and say to our athletes is, is we want to look at our training kind of like building a house. And if we know we want to get to the peak, uh, we got to start with the foundation, right? And um, being able to take it in that first block, it's it's not necessarily like we're spending six to eight weeks in that block. Um, it's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take them through that first little phase for somewhere between two to four weeks, depending on uh, what time of the year we finish off. But uh, I, I think it's also uh, educating the athletes and understanding why we're doing what we're doing, right? Um, the, the pro, any program that you put out is only as good as the paper it's written on if you haven't Given the athletes some kind of context on why you're doing what you're doing. So if we go into the gym in that first phase or athletes and say, okay, you know what we're going to do? Uh, we're, we're not going to do uh, too much heavy press and squat work. We're going to work a lot on, on shoulder range of motion and, and, and pulling patterns and getting our shoulders back healthy. And, you know, we're really going to focus on, on uh, getting in some extra hamstring work. The, it might be different than a lot of them would do if we just said, Hey, go to the gym and start training. So I think the education component of that, that first phase is huge because that again that sets us up for success in phase two phase three phase four um throughout the rest of the off season and it's something that uh is important in terms of ensuring that we're uh number one not injuring our athletes in the weight room i think that's a a big piece of what i try and tell my coaches and uh as as a general rule that we want to make sure we're uh we're focusing on is at no point we want to have our athletes get hurt under our watch obviously in the game of hockey there's uh, being a contact sport, we can't predict anything. I, I personally believe there are injuries that we can control both um, from a, a positive and negative standpoint to some degree through proper training. But uh, the biggest thing we want to do is make sure that we, we can reestablish kind of a little bit of a baseline of, of where their bodies should be at and what we feel comfortable with Um, Moving into the the next phases, and and like I said, uh, having the athletes understand that this particular work we're doing now is gearing to set you guys up to be able to um, work into some of that uh, that sexier stuff down the road.
0: Now I want you to listen to this concept that I've heard before, and then once I'm done saying it, you you give me your feedback on it. If this is how I would explain it to an athlete, don't build the house until you have it finished because you wouldn't start building something unless you had it finished, right? And if you were just started laying bricks and someone came up to you, said, hey, what are you doing? And, I'm, and you would say, well, I'm just laying bricks. And they said, what are you building? And you say, I have no idea. You see, they'll take you away to a safe place if you do something like that. Yeah. What, what, how, how do you find that analogy and, and how true is that, that you need to have that vision of what that, here, here's where we wanna be at the end, and you have that vision. And now it's time to, you have the blueprint and now it's time to start building it. Is that, is that the message that you're trying to get across?
1: 100%. I, I think, uh, number one, both, uh, um, from a coaching standpoint, also with the athletes, one they want to know that you've got a plan and that, uh, and what you're doing has, has purpose and and has direction to it. Um, and obviously that, that becomes a huge part of, of the, the success of the off season. And, um, when we look at, how we're, we're providing that plan to the athletes. We, we look at at different levels. We, we have a, an idea of where we want to be, uh, come the end of the off season, but also knowing that, uh, the, the plan has to be, to be fluid in terms of if there's athletes that aren't adapting or adjusting or, or things happen down the road where, you know, an athlete gets sick through the summertime or they're taking a vacation. Uh, we also within that plan need to be able to adapt and um, and be able to find solutions to, to still continue pushing us towards our goal. Um, but understanding that the plan we put in place um, isn't, uh, isn't completely set in stone. If we need to make adjustments and, and pivot in certain directions, that we still have the ability to um, have our, our goal in mind of where we want to go and ensure that the, um, the changes and the alterations we're making as the, the offseason goes on is, is uh, still pushing the athletes in the right direction.
0: So now, now that we've established we, we fixed the weak points, where are we moving now? Uh, what phase are we going into now after fix after weak points are fixed?
1: So usually after uh, we come out of our first block, is we'll get into um, a, uh, a a phase that's going to focus more on on building back their strength. Um, usually over the course of the season, uh, obviously the, the training um, schedule is a little bit uh, a bit lower than we would do in the off season and. Uh, our goal is to try and keep our athletes through the in-season as, as strong as, as possible. And uh, once we come out of that uh, that first phase where, again, we're trying to um, set up the building blocks for the rest of the off-season, as we'll start getting into phases, that are going to focus a little bit more on on building strength and uh, building a little bit of mass back on at our athletes. And again, depending on what their, their goal is, um, we'll try and, uh, and meet with each athlete uh, before that first phase to kind of give an idea of, of what their uh their goals are for the season if we have a a, an athlete needs to put on mass or an athlete needs to lose weight that could dictate uh what the following phases look like a little bit but um from the most part we'll try and uh we'll have days that'll be uh, designated uh focusing on improving strength um and maximum strength we'll have other days that'll be focused more on speed development uh in the weight room where we'll look at things like uh, bar velocity um and uh and the speed of which they're they're moving the bar and um, again, we'll have different kind of goals for, for each day that we're, uh, we're programming for. And um, we find being able to add different elements um, within each week allows us to kind of set up for success uh, through the, the phases. And um, in, in that being said, again, when we get to some potential uh, points where an athlete gets sick um, or an athlete takes a vacation and we, we miss a couple weeks of training. That could obviously be be very detrimental to their their whole off-season development. So we try to not necessarily have just one goal for each phase as we move forward, if that makes sense, um, where we'll try and still address multiple qualities in each phase. So um, like I said, if we've got our our second phase that might be more of a a strength um, focus, we're still going to make sure that we we start uh, addressing things like power development. We'll start uh, addressing things like um, uh, hypertrophy with some, some volume in their accessory lifts as well.
0: Now you're talking about adding mass Jolene Fonseca, who's a former IFBB pro in the, in the bodybuilding world. She's retired now. Um, she really stressed, you know, when, in her quote unquote bulking season and the cutting season for, for those who are, need to lose weight or to drop body fat, that the, the food is so valuable. When it comes, when it, in complementing, like the training and the food complement each other. It's really important to see to maximize those results for your, to your athletes. How how much do you stress to make sure that their diet is on point in certain in, in these phases? Like mass, we need more calories. You know, there's different ways to do it. Obviously, depending on the goal. But you personally, how how much do you put an emphasis onto the food quality for for that phase?
1: Yeah. No, I I think. Um, it's not just during that phase. I think it's more as a a holistic approach in terms of uh, the entire year for them. Right. Um, we, we tend not to, um, have, I would say different, different approaches in terms of, well, this phase, we want to increase everyone's calorie count to this. And we want to look at it more on an individual basis and, and kind of, um, be able to have a system, systematic plan, just like we would with the, um, the, the programming standpoint. So if we have a guy that that needs to gain weight. Uh, we see this a lot with our our younger athletes that, you know what, they, they want to put on 10 pounds or 15 pounds of, of muscle. And, uh, and we know that obviously nutrition is going to be a part of that is, is we're going to look at, um, increasing calorie count over the course of the off season to be able to uh, hit the goals that we want to do. So I think the big thing is again, kind of going back to that individual standpoint of, we don't want to necessarily just be prescribing nutritional advice blanket based on the phase we're in. We want to kind of use that as a separate entity of, of each individual athlete. And uh, if we know we have a guy that wants to gain weight or, or lose weight, their, their plan might look a little bit different based on uh, the amount of calories we want to try and get them in. Uh, we want to look at um, as well as, as uh, some of their macro breakdowns in terms of uh, what they should be putting into their body during each phase. How are they hydrating? How are they sleeping? Um, things like that. So um, yes, there's going to be a, a plan in place. I wouldn't say it necessarily – um, is, is devoted to each individual phase we do, but we're going to want to try and create habits with each athlete that's going to be able to do something that's year-round because, again, we want to be able to, especially when we look at uh, our collegiate athletes, is we've got them for four years. It's not uh, like a one-or-done uh, approach with them. So we've got a guy who uh, needs to put on some size. We don't want to just implement something that happens um, through the off-season and then kind of dies to the in season because that's uh, typically where you see most guys lose a lot of their weight. Um, so we want to make sure that when we're putting plans in place, uh, they're sustainable throughout the course of the year. And it's not necessarily putting guys on a quote unquote diet or, or um, whatever, but kind of finding a plan that is, is suitable for them over the long run.
0: So, and you also talked about, you know, athletes who they get all hyped and, and geared up about their training program after their season, They're six weeks in, and then they come to you and say, "Hey, I'm taking vacation for the next three weeks. How how irritating is that for a strength coach who's like as dedicated as you and, and an athlete who sold you on, I'm a hundred percent in." And then they come with the, "Yeah, but I got to be a human being too. Like, there's no, there, there's a fence, and you got to pick one side of the fence, right? So when you get something like that, uh, that curveball thrown at you, how how do you have to adjust as a as a coach now, knowing? one of your athletes who made tremendous progress is now going to take three weeks off where the resources available that you provide aren't going to be anywhere near to where they're vacationing.
1: Yeah. And this is, I think probably good timing in terms of where we're at right now and in the world with, uh, with the COVID-19 and stuff. So um, obviously it's not a a perfect situation, but uh, um, it's something that as a strength coach, you've got to figure out a way to adapt and, 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 uh, be able to still provide the athlete what they need, um, whether the the situation is uh, favorable or not, from a from an equipment standpoint or whatever. And I think again, being able to use technology, and uh, I think like myself and a lot of uh, other people have put put plans in place in terms of uh, being able to take things online before this whole epidemic happened, where uh, it wasn't necessarily a full overhaul of how we go about our. Uh, prescribing our training, um, where it was kind of an easy, um, a, an easy way to kind of do what we were doing. And, and now obviously, uh, adapted to all of our athletes through, um, there's a lot of fantastic apps and, and different resources that uh, uh, can be used from a programming standpoint. But yeah, I think, like I said, it's, it's not an ideal situation. But at the end of the day, it's um, these things are going to happen, whether it's, it's a vacation, um, especially with some of the younger guys that maybe are are just coming into the college ranks when they're going through different combines and uh, different um, scouting camps and things like that. It's, there are things that you've got to work around. And I think that uh, obviously uh, as a strength coach, you've got to address that and understand, okay, uh, how do we still continue to move forward in the right direction as close as we are to plan a um, while still understanding that uh, um, sometimes these things do happen. And, um, and making sure that your athletes are still being taken care of to the best of uh, best of your ability
0: and and I think that has to be listened to very carefully you know by by the athletes who do who do go in those positions because they don 't realize you know how detrimental it can be to you know putting a bit of a kink into your your plan that 's been laid out for you by so many different individuals and there's so many moving parts uh, you know to this topic um, I want to move forward now with uh peak performance. That peak performance week before you you, you send your athletes back to uh, into the season. That uh, how, how much emphasis do you put on that peak performance week that you're taught in theory in school? Like, do, is it something that you make sure you do, it, do you, it, or is it just like a casual ramp up to to test their their performance before they go back with their club teams?
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, um... To me, it's almost the opposite approach as opposed to being a ramp up. I think the biggest thing that we tend to do that final week is actually a, a decrease in volume, right? We want to look at, um, again, nothing we're going to do in that last week before training camp uh, from a performance standpoint is going to is going to tip the scale uh, in the right direction by adding more volume on or, or adding uh, more load into drills. I think by that point, they're assuming we're getting most of our athletes training somewhere between 12 and 20 weeks for the most part is... We want to take the the accumulation of training we've built, and now allow them to be able to utilize that and um, and, and express that that performance. So I think our biggest uh, change in those last couple weeks is kind of twofold. When we look at how we're prescribing our our uh, our, our in gym uh, training, is is we're trying to take uh, decrease the load a little bit. Um, we, we we decrease the volume dramatically uh, in terms of. Uh, the amount of sets and the reps that our athletes are doing. And we put an emphasis on speed. So uh, instead of lifting uh, heavier loads at uh, at kind of slower paces, we're tending to to drop off on loading a little bit and having the athletes try and move the bar and, and move the weight as fast as they can. Um, during that phase, we put uh, a little bit more of an emphasis on uh, on movement uh, that last couple weeks. Um, we'll uh, we'll continue to work on a lot of our, our sprint and our speed work uh, throughout that week. And, um, we'll, uh, we'll have a little bit more of an emphasis on, on conditioning as well, making sure that, uh, uh, we're setting them up for success once they do get on the ice. And again, that's kind of a, a general layout, but at the end of the day, especially those last couple of weeks, I find, uh, is the, probably the, the, the biggest time of the year, the off season where everybody's schedules a little bit different. Some guys are, are leaving earlier than others. Some guys are around for a little bit longer. Um, some guys amount of on ice touches increase or decrease. So I think that's the, the time where as a strength coach is, is you're, you're doing probably the most juggling in terms of, okay, what does each athlete need through this last couple of weeks? Uh, how do we make those adjustments to make sure that as they go to the camp, they're, they're, they're ready, but they're also, um, feeling fresh and, and not burned out as well. So I think that's probably the, the biggest, uh, changes we make in those last couple of weeks is just making sure that, uh, again, the volume for each athlete is, um, is prescribed appropriately. And that, uh, when they, they leave, uh, leave the gym and they're ready for camp that they're feeling, I think go through a wall.
0: So we've, we've gone through post and in the off season, you know, we've covered if, if we're putting on mass or needing to trim down, if that, depending on the goal we talked about, you know, now just about different ways to do the peak performance, you know, which your approach is more tapered compared to the traditional. Okay. Let's see what you're truly made of your last week. Um, on field, on ice application, where does that fit in, in the off season program? Like what did it, when, when does it start? When does it end?
1: Um, well, for, for us, our, our, guys typically tend to ramp up in about June. Um, and how we, frequent,
0: how frequently are we talking?
1: So about? in, in June, we, I like to kind of have our, our athletes do a, a kind of a, a, a bit of a ramp up as, as the summer goes on uh, and not so much a, of a shotgun approach where, as uh, soon as we hit uh, at the early part of uh, summer or late spring, that we're we're on the ice four or five times, um, I think um, it, it it's very valuable for the athletes to take a little bit of a break uh, for the first little bit of the off season before they do start ramping up. But I think one of the biggest changes I've made for mentality is is end of the day, especially the high level athletes, like they they need to be uh, on the ice and, and doing their skill work and ensuring that. Uh, they're also developing uh, that part of their game as well. So um, once we hit about June is the time that most uh, of our athletes feel comfortable of getting back on the ice. And uh, we found uh, during that phase um, of June going on the ice twice seems to make, uh, make the most sense. Um, and, and, during that time it's, we're, we're not using those as conditioning skates where uh, we're trying to refine skills, uh, stick handling, shooting work, uh, working on some, uh, some edge work during those uh, uh, those skates. Uh, once we hit the summertime and we're kind of into July, we tend to kind of stick with that same schedule of the, uh, the twice a week. Uh, and mostly because we find and in our, and our, our athletes have found it that it works really well with our, our gym schedule, um, where they're able to kind of adjust their training to allow for, uh, the extra on ice touches. And, and, and really we won't start ramping up our ice until kind of mid August. Um, that's where guys are, and some of our our athletes are going to want to start, um, increasing their on ice touches, starting to get more uh, game scenario work, um, incorporating more battle work and things like that. They're gonna help prepare them for camp. But uh, um, yeah, we uh, we actually made that switch um, last year in terms of uh, using that, that twice a week uh, on ice model to kind of supplement from uh, what we were doing in the gym. So we actually uh, transitioned a lot of our athletes to uh, instead of traditionally how we would train them four days a week, um, And have on ice uh, sessions as well with that we actually scaled it back even more to uh, three days in the gym and two days on the ice Um, and uh, we found that the feedback from our athletes was fantastic they they felt like when they were on the ice they weren't uh, um, they weren't uh, fatigued where they were getting frustrated because they couldn't focus on the skills they needed to do and um, within the gym they were still recovered enough from the on-ice session to be able to come back to the gym the next day and uh, be able to put in uh, adequate work in the gym. So uh, we found that model worked really, really well for us. And um, the, I, I would have to say, this was uh, part and parcel to um, the feedback from our athletes. And this was kind of a cooperative approach between us and how we, we developed that and kind of felt what worked best for, for them. And uh, uh, yeah, we, we found that was really effective for us last offseason.
0: Okay, I, th- this is something I want to talk about um, very briefly, just so our listeners can get a quick, uh, you know, screen or a quick idea of training frequency. So let's say if they're, you know, going into their first offseason, they decided they want to get dedicated to offseason training, 12 to 13 years old, and I just need to know, is it two times, th- two to three times, three to four times, but w- what's the training frequency for 12 to 13 years old?
1: We I actually prefer the the less experienced athletes to be in the gym more um, okay. re- reason being is they can they can handle up more volume um, they uh, uh, they don't need as much rest in between sessions because of uh, the actual intensity of the training that they're when I talk about intensity I'm referring to loading um, obviously a, a newer athlete isn't going to be able to uh, train at the same intensity as a, a, a four-year college athlete. Um, in terms of uh, the amount of load they're, they're lifting in the weight room. So, uh, we find with, with that age group, um, that more actually works better with them in terms of the amount of frequency that they're in the gym, so uh, four the,
0: times, five times. So
1: the, the the biggest hurdle is again, is kind of figuring out how that works around their, their at home schedule with, uh, with schooling and stuff like that. I would say for our 12 to 13 year olds, uh, we'll see them anywhere between, uh, two and three days per week. Um, generally for them as they're, they're starting off, we'll kind of uh, work within that model until we hit the uh, the end of the spring where they're out of school. And then uh, most of them will ramp up to somewhere between three and four days per week. Um, when we look at our, our let's say our, our Bantam and minor midget kids, um, the ones that are, are really kind of now starting to take their training a little bit more seriously, um, those ones we want to see as, as, as much as we, we can. So uh, we tend to try and get them doing something with us in the gym, uh, around four days a week. Um, that way we're able to kind of make our splits into kind of a lower, uh, lower body, upper body, four day, uh, four day split. And we find that uh, the volume of that seems to work really well for, for them and that the goals that most of them come in with. Um, and then as we get into our, our older athletes, um, where, you know, we might have more of a focus in terms of the, the on ice quality with them is, Um, that's where we'll tend to be a little bit more um, adaptive in our approach for what our our weekly uh, progression looks like.
0: So just to recap, we're saying, you know, 12 to 13 year olds, an off season, let's say there's no school, 12 to 13 years old, you know, two to three times just to start it up when we ramp it up three to four times, you know, 14 to 18 years old, we're looking at four plus per week, depending on where they're at but a minimum of four. And then when we talk about collegiate athletes, you're looking at, you know, five, six days, you know, six days labor, one day rest is one of the best selling books in the world would say. Yep. <laughs> there, there we are. Okay. So now we're, now the off season's done and, and, and we're getting into the in season and that's, that phase changes everything now because y- y- you're not only scheduling, um, around the athlete's personal life schedule, but now you're scheduling around the club schedule Let's talk frequencies. Let's talk training intensity, the, the purpose of the in-season program. Let's, let's go through those.
1: Yeah. I, I think um, the, the biggest thing as we kind of enter the in-season that it has to, to, to change is the volume of what they train um, with, the, with the game and practice schedule. Um, this is a spot where where more isn't necessarily better. Um, and we'll want to make those adjustments uh, um, from our, our off season model, but um, really what we're, we're tend to do there is we're, we're just cutting out a couple of the days. So if we've got a, a college uh, athlete who's going to come in and train, let's call it four days uh, in the gym, uh, not including their on-ice touches, uh, we'll usually scale that back to a two-day cycle uh, through the end season. Um, that's, that's something that we found to be, be effective. And, and that being said, when we talk about two days of training, that's to, to me, that constitutes our, our in-gym work. Um, with our our college team is we'll we'll try and do something every day with them. Um, And uh, have a bit of a different focus on each day. But uh, typically, uh, the way our our schedule works is we'll train on a Monday and a Wednesday. And we'll do uh, a little bit more kind of recovery based work on our Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the way I like to look at it is, uh, I'll start with the college athletes, because that's probably the easiest schedule to, um, to, to look at. And, for us, we're usually playing on a Friday and a Saturday. Um, Sunday tends to be an off day where we don't do anything formally as a team. Uh, and it gives the guys a, a day of rest. But when we uh, dial back, knowing that usually Friday, Saturday are our game nights, is we want to make sure that the week is set up to allow them to feel the best come, um, come Friday night. So typically, when we look back from that, um, Thursday, we'll have uh, our group in the gym. Uh, and like I said, it'll be, it'll be more recovery based. On the Thursday, we'll go through uh, just a really good uh, structured warm-up with them. We'll uh, we'll work on some mobility work, um, same sort of stuff we were addressing the off-season. We want to make sure that their their hips and their ankles and their their shoulders are are uh, again being taken care of. So when we do hit the off-season, we've kind of built that volume throughout the course of the year. Um, so we're not necessarily starting right back from scratch. Um, we'll, uh, we'll go through a mobility work. We'll go through a, a good little dynamic warm up with them. And then we like to, uh, finish off with some, some really, really low, uh, low volume power work, uh, a couple sets of jumps and a couple sets of med ball throws just to kind of get that light switch turned on. Um, knowing that usually our Thursday practice is uh, a little bit, uh, quicker of a skate. Um, and that's kind of what our, our typical Thursday looks like. Um, Wednesday, uh, ends up being a day that we're in the gym. Um, usually on this day is we're trying to pick drills that are going to have the least amount of carryover in terms of, uh, soreness. We, we know that, um, usually most soreness is going to happen 24 to 48 hours after training. So we want to be pretty, pretty careful about what we pick on the, on the Wednesdays in terms of their drill selection. Um, and usually the focus on the Wednesday is, is kind of like, uh, I alluded to in the, in the off season time is our focus. We want to on that day is, is, is moving stuff quick. So, uh, we'll tend to, to program, um, some of our Olympic lifting work on the Wednesday, um, we'll program, uh, most of our, our jumps and our, more of our ballistic work on the Wednesday. And again, everything on that day is with the, the primary focus of moving, moving things fast. Um, the Tuesday we typically use as kind of like a, an active recovery day. Um, again, it'll be more almost like a glorified yoga, um, on, on max strength and, and ensuring that, uh, what we've built in the off season isn't lost. And, Again, we'll, we'll kind of um, use different methods and uh, different intensities that we'll try and work at throughout the course of the year to uh, ensure that uh, not only are the guys keeping their strength, but we still have the goal of, of improving strength and improving some of these qualities. Um, we look at uh, having athletes for four years is, is we want to make sure that as much as um, we're developing them on the ice, we're also developing them in the weight room and, uh, and knowing that you know a lot of these guys are going to get – uh, potentially offers to uh, to play pro. And we want to make sure when they leave here in four years that, uh, uh, that they're set up uh, both from an on-ice and an off-ice development standpoint.
0: Now for minor sports, minor sport athletes in season, sometimes a team will sign up and th- that's taking up a night of their busy schedule. And then there's the individual on that team who will probably want to do work on his or her own a team session and a, and a, and a personal session obviously have their different values, pros and cons. Um, do you think adding that second session a week could be for a minor athlete could be a little too taxing based on, on what's being looked at there? Or do you look at with the current, the athlete's current schedule and say, Hey, here's where we can add this in. Here's where we can subtract this because scheduling does come to be a big part of this whole process.
1: Yeah, uh, scheduling in, in my mind really dictates, um, dictates everything. Um, I think uh, when you look at uh, players that are, are going through their minor midget years, is they're, they're pretty much playing a, a professional schedule when you look at it, right? They're playing uh, between the regular season, their tournaments, their, uh, their, their showcases. They're their easily upwards of 70 games a year, and that's not including practices. Um, that's not including having to go to school. Extra uh, extracurricular uh, activities that uh, that might be at schools, so it, it does become a lot for these athletes. And um, from a time management standpoint, ensuring that uh, yeah they're they're both performing on the ice and also performing in the classroom, uh, which is obviously uh, the most important thing. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, it, it definitely comes down to ensuring that the schedule is matches the athletes needs and I think it's it's easy in season to uh to kind of uh get wrapped up with with only the on-ice development standpoint and um I, I think uh taking a priority and an understanding that uh yeah being able to take one day at least to to make sure that they're in the gym and still um addressing their their off-ice uh development concerns is is big but uh in the same breath knowing that you know what there's gonna be some weeks that uh it just doesn't make sense to to push that extra day, um, you look at uh, uh, just had a couple of athletes that uh, will now cancel the OHL Cup, but uh, going through some of the wildcard games, and um, they're they're playing, practicing every night. So to be adding more training in on top of that uh, when they're getting home at night at eleven o'clock and still having to worry about school the next day is is just being smart about it and uh, and understanding that uh, end of the day these these young athletes they're they're still they're still kids they're still uh, uh, young men and and uh, and young women so um making sure that uh, they're still getting the adequate rest they need and being able to uh, perform in the classroom, I think is still uh, very important for them.
0: Playoff time. very crucial. I was one, an athlete who once playoffs hit, I felt like the gym component was it gave me all I could and now it's really just on me. Is that something that you believe in where it, it's you know the the gym, you know, is to be tapered off during playoff time, considering you could be playing every other day and that rest day could bring more value back to the athlete. But now there's the flip side, the active rest workouts and the stretch out days and the rollout days. That's a new thing that's come in. What's your philosophy on that?
1: Um, Yeah, I I think again, uh, schedule dictates everything, right? And if, if you are in a situation where you're playing every other night, Then I think it's just being being smart about that and and understanding what what um, what modality and and what type of training makes the most sense during that day, and and saying okay, if we've got some days where we do have a couple off days, then utilizing that uh, appropriately um, as a a training and development day. And if it's uh, if it's you know back to back games or or every other night, then yeah, maybe that session is better served as a recovery day. um, from the, the a college standpoint with our, our team, we, we feel that uh, routine is important and, 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 maintaining, um, that component, uh, throughout the course of the year is, is what uh, we want to do. And if we do have training days during, uh, the playoff time, then we'll obviously address volume as needed. And, um, in season, like I said, it doesn't have to, when we talk about dropping volume and dropping intensity at certain points is it doesn't necessarily have to be a 90 minute session to get something done. Um, With our, with our group um, there's days that we're in and out of the gym in 20 minutes and we're trying to get um, the bare minimum done to be able to maintain and still continue to build on, on some of these qualities. But uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be leaving the gym every time feeling like um, you just got hit by a Mack truck that, you know, you got something done. And like I said, that, that less is more approach becomes really important um, through the course of the year, but, uh, even more during playoff time where we know schedule is going to be condensed down a little bit. Um, but again, taking days where, uh, it makes sense to, Hey, you know what, today's going to be a rollout day and we're going to come in, we're going to pop on the foam rollers, do a little bit of glute activation and get on the ice. Um, that, that kind of idea of, uh, of getting a little bit of something done every day goes, goes well, both from a, a routine standpoint. Um, but also, uh, being able to chunk in little pieces of development where we, uh, where we can, um, and on the flip side of stuff, uh, maybe not so prevalent with, uh, with minor hockey, but when we look at, uh, our, our, collegiate athletes is we're, we're carrying more bodies than we can dress. Right. So I think at that point there is we want to make sure all of our athletes are, are developing. And, um, if there's guys that aren't necessarily going to be everyday guys are going to be in the lineup. Um, Throughout the playoffs is we want to still make sure that uh, they're being taken care of from a training standpoint, um, but also having the the right amount of volume that if uh, something does happen and we need to draw from one of these guys to jump into the lineup that they're uh, both prepared from a a conditioning standpoint and a physical standpoint, um, but also um, that uh, the volume and intensity allows them to perform when they, they do get the call.
0: What's your definition of hard work in the gym for, for an athlete? Uh, parents, for example, they think if you're not coming out huffing and puffing and sweating, you, you weren't working hard. What's your definition of hard work?
1: Um, I would say my, my definition of hard work is is being purposeful and, and, and doing things with intention, right? Um, we might have days where we're, we're not necessarily trying to accomplish a whole lot in the gym uh, in terms of the amount of volume we're doing, the amount of exercises we're doing, but I think um, when I look at who our, our best athletes are, the, the ones that come into the, the weight room, whether it's a, uh, a recovery day, whether it's a development day, um, and for whatever's program for that day, they're, they're doing it with, with some sort of purpose. Um, they're doing it with, uh, with intention. Um, and, uh, I, I think that when you look at down the road, these athletes potentially going on and playing professional is. Um you, you're, you could be potentially doing some of these, um, these recovery sessions for the course of 10, 15, 20 years if you have a long professional career. And uh, I think that can become very monotonous to, to players. And um, I think the, the best athletes, the ones that I've worked with, um, are able to kind of uh, embrace that a little bit and ensure that every day they come in. Whether it's, like I said, something that's a little bit more low volume and, and recovery based, or if it's a day we're trying to get at it, they're coming in with the same mindset of it's, a, it's an opportunity for me to get better. Um, and I think understanding that, uh, and again, tracking certain markers, ensuring that they are improving, um, I, I think uh, that mindset of being able to come in and, uh, and, and do, the, do the work the right way each day to me is what uh, maybe not necessarily the definition of a, what a hardworking athlete is, but it's a definition of an athlete that's going to be an asset to any team that they, uh, they play for.
0: So basically take extreme ownership and consistency, attention to detail and execution. Yeah. So I, I think, I,
1: I think the, the detail is the the big thing. And like I said, it's it's easy for, for athletes in September to be all um, all fired up and, and, and coming into the gym hot and, I think when we get to those kind of dog days of the season, the November, the, uh, the late October, where, you know what, we're a few months into the year and a lot of that um, schedule becomes very routine and monotonous. I think being able to still push through that mentally and understand that, you know what, um, if I can improve a little bit every day and that 1% better each day mentality um, over the course of a four-year uh, for your undergraduate degree, by the time they leave the program, they're going to be a vastly, vastly different, uh, different athlete from the time they, they came in. And, um, it's every, every time they're entering the, the gym, it's an opportunity to, to get better or you get, or get worse, right? Like it's, um, as you become a higher level athlete, no one's there to necessarily hold your hand through every, every training session. And, and they've got to, to some degree, take that accountability and ownership on themselves and each other to, um, be able to come in and and no matter what the task is for that day, do it with the, 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 the most purpose and most intention that they can when they enter the, the weight room. And uh, understanding that uh, all of this is um, with the goal of collectively making them a, a better athlete and, and at large, a better team.
0: I love it. I love all this stuff. It, it reminds me of when I used to do this about uh, seven, eight years ago as a profession. And I'm starting to look, think back now to all the different things breaking out the spreadsheets finding out you know who needs what and getting really you know again that attention to detail that a coach has to put into the athlete to make these things happen
1: mm-hmm. um and, and just yeah. on that on that note too like i think another important thing for athletes to understand is and, and and a tough thing to understand is is um volume based on the minutes you play right if you're if you're the kind of player that uh speaking more for maybe our college group, but if you're the kind of athlete that uh, over the course of a weekend is logging 20, 25 minutes of ice is your, your development plan the next week might look a little bit different than somebody who uh, maybe is playing on the fourth line and not seeing as much ice. So I think understanding too, and and having that little reality check of, uh, of, of where you're at from a, um, a team standpoint and understanding that, Hey, you know what, maybe I do need to do more or do less, um, from a development standpoint. Um, to, to ensure that each individual person is moving in the right direction is uh it's a hard thing for coaches to 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 do but also it's a hard thing for athletes except of saying hey well why am i doing more work on the bike or why am i doing more sets than this guy today uh and, and being able to take that and embrace that and say yeah you know what i, I understand why i might have to do a little bit more work today or why i understand why i'm getting an off day today when the rest of the team's not and and being able to uh, realize that that is in your best interest as well and ensuring that Um, there might be individual steps for each player on a team that's going to help collectively improve the team at large.
0: Uh, And it's, it's well put in really in depth to, to our listeners here to hear something like that, because that's something that they don't get on a day-to-day basis. You know, Jesse, what what do you, what's the most common thing that athletes approach you with that is uh, probably the most popular thing that they always want to consistently improve on and you can always improve on it because let's face it, personal development, you cannot measure. There's really no ceiling to it. What's the most uh, popular uh, goal that uh, athletes have coming to you in the off season? I, I
1: think uh, I speak for a lot of strength coaches where, um, for where most athletes come in and the first thing that you say is, well, you know, start talking What is, what's your goal for the off season? What do you need to improve on? And um, a, a lot of the things that we here is, well, they got to improve their foot speed. Well, what does that mean? Right. Is it, um, is is improving your foot speed, uh, improving how you move laterally? Is it a direction change issue? Is it a speed issue? So I think that's probably one of the, the most common things that we hear from, from athletes. And I think it's a, it's a common, um, kind of basket term in the hockey world as well. No, he, you know, he's, he's a good defenseman, but he's got to improve his foot speed. I think, um, that's one of maybe my biggest pet peeves is kind of hearing that where, um, foot speed necessarily isn't ensuring that an athlete is, is fast. I think an athlete who's fast is fast. So when we look at athletes that maybe need to improve their foot speed or, our uh, concerns that we get from athletes and coaches is improving their foot speed. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things that goes with that is understanding, okay, what does that actually mean? Is it, um, a lot of coaches will come in and just say, Hey, yeah, uh, you know what, uh, this athlete, a uh, good hockey player, but really needs to improve their foot speed. And I think, um, to me, the, the biggest difference between um, an athlete who quote unquote needs to improve their foot speed is, is generally they just need to get faster. And uh, uh, when we look at speed development with our athletes, it's to me, it's, it's how fast can they move from point A to point B, um, not how fast can they move their feet in place. And I think understanding that some of the drills that you'll see out there um, that are, are, are so called designed to improve foot speed um, isn't actually necessarily making an athlete faster. Um, so I think when we look at athletes that come in and say they want to improve their, their speed development is we want to look at a, a couple different things. And, um, when we say, Hey, okay, we're going to work on, on your speed today. Typically that's going to have them focus on, on, on sprinting. And, um, over the course of the off season, we'll, uh, we'll look at, uh, uh, in, in implementing uh, a specific routine for our athletes, whether they're they're sprinting short distances to work on their first step acceleration, or longer distances up to let's say 20 meters uh, to improve their uh, more their, their their top end speed, um, is we'll we'll tend to focus more on on those sort of things from a speed development standpoint. Um, as the uh, the off season uh, progresses, we'll take a lot of those sprint drills and start adding in direction change work. Um, seeing how well can a athlete stop and change direction efficiently? Because we look at issues in terms of how that relates to the ice is, um, very rarely unless you're chasing down an icing, are you, are you really skating for an extended period of time, right? We're looking at short stops, um, puck changes direction. We need to quickly stop and, and change directions and and move efficiently. So to me, when we look at, or or hear that athletes need to improve their foot speed is we want to really say, okay, can we take an athlete a be able to get them to, to move faster on their first couple steps, but can they stop? Can they change direction efficiently? Um, and be able to translate that onto the ice. So that's kind of, I think one of the, the big things that we uh, get the off from athletes wanting to work on. Um, and that's kind of our approach to how we're going to, we're going to set that up for them.
0: And again, and we've touched on this before, it's so important. And I learned it from this course on how that I'm taking with London real, how important it is to go micro with your goals get specific don't just say you know it's too broad to say foot speed and sometimes that's it, foot speed is more micro than the one i hate oh footwork okay yeah, well good. foot footwork in the gym footwork on the ice footwork on the field like you said laterally you know um, um, north and south uh, are we talking the first three steps are we talking yeah. the acceleration the agility the overall speed if Say that to a sprinting coach and realize how, how quickly you just wasted that sprinting coach's time when you're talking about, oh, improve my footwork. That's an insult comment right there. If you go and approach them with something as, as broad as that.
1: 100%. And, and I'm going to go kind of down a little bit of a different rabbit hole here. But um, really, when you look at the sport of hockey, um, it's, it's tough to have an understanding of exactly what's going to translate from the gym onto the ice. Um, when you look at the nature of hockey as we go from training on foot to saying, okay, can we take those elements and be able to have that transfer on the ice? And and does that happen sometimes? Yes. Not all the time. Uh, will that happen? Right. When I think creating, um, better, uh, better speed and, and developing that quality off the ice, let's face it. If the, if the, the athlete's a poor skater on the ice, I don't know how well that's going to transfer over. And there's, there's different things you can look at there in terms of like, okay, if we're able to increase an athlete's strength, they're going to be able to sit down deeper into their stride and more comfortable there. If they can sit down deeper, they're going to have a better stride length. And ideally that should translate to uh, to better on ice speed. So there's, there's a different factors you've got to look at here, but uh, end of the day, um we're trying to take what we do in the weight room and and say okay is this something that will translate onto the ice and when we look at how we're gonna train our athletes to me it's making them better athletes off of the ice and and my philosophy is if we can do things that teaches them how to how to sprint better how to change direction better how to jump better how to land better um fundamental movement qualities then i think at the very least, we're, we're creating better athletes. And to me, better athletes are going to translate better into whatever situation you put them into. So I think there obviously are things that we want to address in the weight room that might have direct transfer onto the ice. But I think at the end of the day, that's where, where skills coaches and, and on-ice uh, performance specialists play a huge role in that as well. And to be where, where um, the best program comes about is when you've got your off-ice coach and your on-ice coach having a direct line of communication with each other where I can say to uh, the skating coach, this is exactly what I'm working on the gym on this day. How does this work with what you're teaching him and what you see on the ice? And is it something that, Hey, you know what, this athlete just needs to get stronger uh, or this athlete needs to work on this. I, I think having that communication between the strength coach and the the coach on the ice or uh, skills coach or skating coach is, is crucial because I think uh, where a lot of problems will happen is when there is no connection between the two and okay, you know what, I, I put the athlete through a heavy conditioning session in the gym and and, and, and bagged their legs, and now they're going to do a 90-minute uh, power skating session, or they're going on with their team and getting bagged for, for 90 minutes. So I think the, the the best approach is a collaborative approach approach between all of the, the resources that the athlete has in the summer, and that goes from the strength coaches, the on-ice specialists, that includes the nutritionists, the the rehab specialist, I think, um, to create success, we need to have a cohesive approach between all those and understanding, okay, here's my plan for this athlete based on what I see. What do you see? What can I do to support what you're seeing on the ice? So.
0: Dan church and I talked about that last week about the, the amount of staff that it it goes into athletes. And I was actually going to bring that up until you, you brought it up before I could, um, about the communication between the on, on ice and off ice. Uh, coaches, or you know, on field, whatever you might be for whatever athletes listening to us, and here's the prime example of how micro you can get, and and we'll talk about speed because we always say, well, I want to get faster. It's like, well, you skate really well north and south, but now we're talking laterally or weight shifting. Cody Creighton, as you know, loves teaching the weight shift and the crossover and how to actually turn properly, which you and I both know is the foundation for building that acceleration. And could you imagine the improvement if an athlete, um, you know, if, if a hockey player um, that we're going to use for the example came to you and Cody sat down and said, we're going to focus strictly on building speed through weight shift and acceleration and turning. That's going to be my focus this year. That's how micro the athlete could go with it. Right then and there, you and Cody know exactly what you got to do to work as a tandem to make that possible. And then when the athlete goes to perform in the game, you're going to see all that extra speed build up and even more speed when they start going straight because they have all this momentum built. And that's how specific you can get. But the athlete and the the family, they don't take the time to think of those things. And I don't even think they realize or know how to think that way or even know that's an option. To, to, to get faster rather than say squat down to the floor, deadlift as heavy as you can, sprint as hard as you can, power skate as long as you can. Y- you can get specific and and like we said, not have to, to overly exert, but be specific over and, and be consistent and execute and come in with a skill that a lot of those players do not have. Well,
1: I, I would even take that a step further and say to challenges any coaches any any coaches listening go watch one of your athletes uh, sessions on the ice, try and speak the same language as the coaches that they're working with. Right. If, if you've got a a power skating coach that's talking about the crossover and, and they are talking about that, uh, that, um, uh, that push under through the cross next time you're going to the gym and you're going to focus on a crossover with your athlete, you know what, use some of the same cues. That's a, that's a huge light bulb moment for an athlete to hear and to put into context. If I can take a drill that like a, like a crossover in the gym, and it's one thing to just prescribe a drill and have the athlete do it. But if I can start talking the same lingo as, as I would on the ice, um, or, or maybe that their, their skating coach uses that's, that's instant buying for the athlete too, to say, Hey, this coach, the, the, the plan that we're putting in place has direct relation to what I'm doing on the ice. And, um, whether that drill does or not, I, I think if you can take components of it that are going to, um, to support what they're doing on the ice, I think um, from a buy-in standpoint and, and also from a development standpoint, you're putting yourself up to that much more to succeed.
0: You, you know, I just made a quick note here of the cycle of the people involved. If you want to get really micro with this. and I'm going to use our guest that we've had on the show as an example. So say you have Dan Lichterman who's, you know, he's a, he's a head coach. He's a senior coach of my program, as you know, who can observe and, and, and absorb everything that he sees with an athlete, and said, "Okay, here's what this kid's missing," and then it goes to an on on ice instructor like Cody Creighton, who's brilliant and very detailed, a strength and conditioning specialist like yourself, who is more than committed and detailed and and emotionally and in, in, involved. Like we said, developing that relationship with the athlete, which is so huge, um, to do that component. And then there's someone like Andy Muda, who's going to be on the show uh, in the coming week um, to talk about the nutrition factor. And you guys have a great relationship there. Andrew Craig, who's our uh, chiropractor and biomechanics specialist. You know, there's his role to play in as well. And all of this stuff, all these people communicating, say, just for one athlete, to get to Brian Adolsky, who's coaching the, the, China pro, the Chinese pro team in the Russian League for women's hockey. To go and say, "Hey, here's this athlete who's really put in the work over the last three, four years." If if that person had that dream team, and that's something I'm going to be getting into later in our in uh, one of our episodes later this week, building the dream team around you, where you you may not be directly involved with all these people, but you can get their perspective and eye view, and they all have a great working relationship and know. What you need to do to improve on those specific skills that can take your game that much further. Not just going and saying we're going to shoot a thousand pucks today in the driveway because some house league coach came up with the thousand shot challenge. <laughs> you know this. This is how specific it can really get. And and then again, as you just pointed out, having your your head coach of your winter club or your prospect coach. You know, communicating with those people so they understand too, so they can give feedback of, "Hey, you guys are really my athlete's taking off here," or you know what, taking off in some games a little inconsistent. You know, what's that mental side of it? Oh, Kerry Langford, who's been on our show, something of just that giving a consultation there. There's so many resources available to these athletes, but they just don't know. And this is why I love doing these episodes with people like yourself because we start to mastermind and think, wow, like this is something here. Here's, here's how you do this. This is how you get started. And here's the type of people you have to be around to get to that highest level.
1: Yeah. And, and I think as a, as a coach, you've got to be open to that as well. And I think, um, being able to share what you're doing and, and not having that closed in, um, where you know what, this is, this is the secret sauce that I'm doing and no one else can know what I'm doing and, and keep that to, to me the, as a, as a coach, um you're you're setting your athlete up better by giving them the appropriate network to work within, but also from a coaching standpoint, like I I I love being able to connect with different coaches. Um I learned something. I, I know it helps improve my athletes' programs, but again, I all by by doing that, you're not only setting your yourself, your athlete up for success success, you're also doing the same thing for yourself by by improving your network that you work within. And I think to me it's it's not trying to be the 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 master of all trades here. And um, you you get a guy like Andy Muto who, you know, I need to, uh, dial in more with an, uh, nutrition for an athlete. Okay. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call Andy. I'm going to connect those two together. And, and, uh, I think it, uh, it helps the athlete by having more points of contact, but again, you're doing it with, with people that have the same philosophy and same, same views as you do to a certain degree. And at the, the, the biggest thing is that they, they treat the athletes well. And, uh, you know, when you send your athlete to one of these, uh, these people that they're going to do a good job with them. And, um, and, to, and to me, it's, again, you're, you're, um, the more we can be able to provide our athletes and better resources. Um, we're, we're not just setting them up for success for the upcoming season, the season after that, we're, we're helping them with, with life skills and, and, uh, and, and building that side of stuff up as well.
0: Uh, and like I say, it's you and I are feeding off each other now with, with all this masterminding that we're doing because we're getting specific to specific topics here on this show. And you know, I think we're just going to keep unlocking more and more great information that sometimes we, we as coaches don't even think until we sit down and we start to have these conversations and think or, or say, I can't believe I didn't think of that before. What a great way to explain something now. Jesse, this was awesome. It was another fantastic show. I can't wait till we get micro on something, uh, something else from, um, the strength and conditioning world. Uh, cause I know we still have a ton of content that we have to, co- uh, cover. And this is an industry at the same time where things are changing each season. What worked yesterday may not work tomorrow, but I really appreciate you being on here and I look forward to having you back.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. And, uh, if any of the, the listeners have any questions, um, we're, uh, we're pretty active on, on social media. You can find us at, uh, TPA, uh, sports, um, send us a message. If you have any questions, uh, happy to, uh, to help in any other way I can.
0: Fantastic. I love it. This is Scott McDonald with the real experience student athlete podcast signing out.